Well, time's passed. Darius the Mede is now the king. But God's people are still in exile, far from Jerusalem, and the potential for temple worship, which was a central part of their identity. But Daniel is studying the Hebrew scriptures, keeping in touch with his God and his culture, and he reads Jeremiah, and you can read it, Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. It says this, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfil my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. For you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you in, I carried you into exile. So there it is. Daniel is reading, and he sees that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And the people only have to call on his name and he will bring them back to Jerusalem. But there's a stipulation. They have to seek him with all their heart and they have to call on him. One of the things about prophecy like Jeremiah is that it's given kind of to be overturned. God hopes that people will respond and change the outcome. The process of human decision-making, God allows to work in his history. The, The Jewish people grew up learning from the writings of Moses. And Moses, in what's probably his last carrot and stick sermon, in Deuteronomy 28, tells the people this when they're about to go into the land that God's given them. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All the blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And he lists them, all the wonderful things that will be theirs. However, in verse 15, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And they're listed, and they're pretty horrific. And one of them is that the Lord will bring against you from afar, from the ends of the earth like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, no wine, no calves, no herds, no lambs, and your flocks until you are ruined. 
They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving you. Curses. Does God still curse us? No. There was a curse, and it was laid on Jesus Christ. So in New Testament terms, there, yes, God blesses and God punishes. But the curse for sin has been laid on Jesus Christ, and in that is our hope. But in Old Testament times, the Jews had to learn the seriousness of sin. And I think sometimes we, because it's so easily forgiven, we sometimes forget how seriously God takes it. But Joshua, when most of the land in Canaan had been conquered and his people were at last at peace, he called the leaders together because he was getting old and he wanted to make sure they kept the way of God. And he says to them in Joshua 23, Now... I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he's threatened. Until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he's given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he's given you. Now Daniel and the people were living with the burning anger of God because of their sin and Daniel knew it. During the exile without temple worship, access to God was accessed through his word still the way that we have access through the flesh, word made flesh. Daniel is reading with a desire to know what God wants of him and of God's people. Reading the word of God brought to Daniel how seriously God regarded the sin of his people and Daniel recognises the sin is continuing. In verse 7 he says, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness, we and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we've sinned against you. True repentance results in specific confession. Not if I've sinned, but I have sinned. This is how I have sinned. This is what I repent of. Daniel asked God for what he needs most. And most, what he most needs is forgiveness and deliverance. If you think about the prayer that the Lord taught us, that's also our prayer. Forgiveness and deliverance from sin. It's interesting that this chapter in uh, its original language contains better Hebrew than the rest of the Hebrew bits of Daniel. And I think it probably comes from the fact that Daniel had memorised parts of 
the word of God. And so this is the language that comes through when he talks to God. But his confession is specific. Not if we've done wrong, but in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands. We have not listened to your servants. We are covered with shame because of our unfaithfulness to you. We have rebelled. We have not obeyed. We have not sought the favour of the Lord. Daniel's pleas for forgiveness and restitution are based not on the behaviour or attitude of the Israelites, but solely on God's mercy. He says, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Give ear our God and hear. Open our eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. It seems to Daniel that this time must be up. And so he pleads with God to do as he promises. Daniel confesses that although God's always kept his, good, his promises and been good to Israel, God's people have sinned and done wrong. It's a very personal prayer. Surely, as Daniel spells out the nature and the extent of the sin, we've sinned, we've done wrong, we've been wicked, we've... He can see that little's changed in the behaviour of God's people. He describes the ongoing sin of both the leaders and the people and recognises that just as God had always kept his promises to bless, so now he has had to keep his promises to curse his people for their disobedience. Daniel says, All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Yet still God's people didn't come back to him. Daniel reminds God that God is righteous and his ongoing anger with his people has caused the nations around to mock Israel's God. He says, our ancestors, our sins and iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. And for this reason, Daniel asks that the punishment should end and God's people should be established in God's land again. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people be your name not because of their righteousness, but because of God's mercy. And the passage tells us that Daniel is heard not because of his sacrifice, it wasn't an opportunity for sacrifice, but because of the attitude of his heart. There's a lovely passage in Isaiah 57 that says, this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. I'm not only that God, but I'm your God. 
The answer to Daniel's prayer is brought by Gabriel to give Daniel insight and understanding, it says in verse 21. And it comes with the assurance that as soon as you began to pray, this answer was on its way. If you'd ever joined our early Monday morning prayer meeting, which is online at the moment, and you're very welcome, you'll find instances every week where we find that God has answered. He still answers prayer. The revelation is to Daniel that although he's repented, Israel isn't. God's going to restore Jerusalem, but he's not going to make it easy for them. Seventy-sevens, Gabriel tells him, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Be assured, Gabriel's telling Daniel, the time will come when God will make final atonement for sin and establish righteousness, when the anointed one will come, an anointed one who will be cut off. We understand this to mean Jesus and the sacrifice that would accomplish our salvation and forgiveness, but also the forgiveness for those who, before Jesus came, trusted God and obeyed him. But about the date, Daniel, just know I know when it'll be. There have been many explanations for the sevens, and people who've counted them up have found pretty much close to um, the dates and times between when, Dari when Cyrus told them they could go back and rebuild Jerusalem and when Jesus came. But the reality is that God knows when it will be, but before this, worse is to come. And the visions of what will come soon and what will come eventually are kind of mixed together because they have many, many similarities. The punishment must be great because the sin is great. And every attempt to re-establish the nation of Israel will occur with difficulty and more bloodshed because of the ongoing sin of the people. And if you look at that land today, you'll find it's still happening. In Ezra, we read, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you be built, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him. We, but Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you know, part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the God, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus has commanded us. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and made them afraid of the building. Trouble will be the experience of the people of God because they failed to put God in his proper place. 
in their individual lives and in their collective lives. The end, this passage tells us, will come like a flood, a flood of blood. And all of this will end. The end is already decreed. God restates his right to plan and choose the time and place of judgment and blessing. He's the sovereign God. Although he can deliver his people when he wants to, he will not always do it because from heaven things look different. This was the lesson of the men in the fiery furnace. If you remember when we were doing the first part of Daniel, they told the king at the time, our God can rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we won't worship you. So what can we learn from Daniel's prayer? What's our insight and understanding? I believe that our, our belief about prayer is determined by our belief about God. When I ponder the holiness of God, I see my sin more clearly. When I consider the love of my God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I can confess my sin. And when I remember the gift of the Holy Spirit, I can hope to overcome my sin. Does God listen? Is God interested enough to act? Is he powerful enough to do the impossible, even when it seems in line with his will? Jesus said in Matthew, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Each of you, if your son asks for bread, which of you, sorry, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give, give good gifts to those who ask him? When Gabriel came to Daniel, he called him by his name. Daniel was known to God, not just for his prayer, but for his life. God listened. God was interested enough to act and showed he was powerful enough to make things happen in the way he wanted and at the time he wanted. He records this story for our benefit. And you may know that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to his readers in Corinth, told them to learn from the history of God's people. He said, these things happened to them as examples, were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Is it our function to intercede for people before God? To lament, cry for justice? If we study the word of God, we will see our sin exposed, both ours and that of the nations around us. We need to repent of our sin. We need to learn to share with others the answers to God's prayers, to our prayers to God. And we learn to give thanks. As we recognise God has answered our prayers, so our understanding of God and his faithfulness and our trust in him grows. God told the Old Testament people to tell the stories of the great things um, that he had done for them so that their children wouldn't turn away from him. 
We're doing that. That's what M's doing now. We're telling the stories of the great things that God's done. We need to tell of the great things God's done in our lives. And people benefit from that. So we need to remember, when we ponder the holiness of God, we will see our sin. When we consider the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, we will find it easier to confess our sin. This is not a God who chooses to curse us. This is a God who has cursed Jesus on our behalf. And when we remember the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can hope to overcome sin in our life. This is the lesson of Daniel. There is a need for repentance. Stephen reminded us the other day, there is a need for us to come to God in repentance. There is a need for us to encourage one another, to live up to the standards that God has set forward in his word. Mm-hmm.